Let's ask God's blessing on our time together this morning. Fathers, we turn to you, heart and soul. We long to hear your voice. So we have heard scripture read. It is the word of truth to us this morning. Inspired and without error. Father, we beg that you would guard our hearts and minds, that you would guard even my lips, that you would be honored, high and lifted up, and glorified in the preaching and teaching of your word, that your church would be built up, guarded and protected, that we would continue to strive after holiness and your glory in all that we say and do. Oh God, please, even now, change my heart. Help me, help my brothers and sisters, more and more to walk toward Christ-likeness. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most common and startling themes in literature and in cinema and on television is the betrayal of the one who has been on the hero's inner circle. When the betrayal happens, if it was set up well in the unfolding of the story, the reader or the viewer is like, well, what did I just miss? How did that happen? You start playing back the movie or the story in your mind and go, what were the breadcrumbs that the storyteller left us to give us some clue that this was going to go down? The most classic example of this within reality is that of Judas Iscariot. To borrow John's language in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, said he went out from us, but he was not of us. For if he had been of us, he would have continued with us. As you read through the Gospels, you in some of the Gospels, you get no clue that this is going to happen. And then it does. And even the disciples are dismayed. In hindsight, they go, ah, ah, now we see. But here, John is writing this letter some 50 to 60 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And no doubt, the sting of that betrayal still floods his mind. And no doubt, John has seen other examples in the church over the years. So much so that he feels it necessary to provide clarity against such things here in his letter. And while the writers of the New Testament to a man highlight the fact that persecution is going to come upon the church from the outside, they do not fear that persecution destroying the church. Their gravest concern over and over for the church remains within. Among the issues addressed within the church are false teaching and disunity. These things are a hidden cancer that will fell a mighty warrior. The strongest and most invincible foe may not fall to bullet, may not fall to arrow, may not fall to a bomb, but a brain aneurysm is going to strike him down. Cancer that goes unchecked is going to destroy him in a matter of weeks. This morning I intended to conclude 
our study in the Little Johns, uh, but there was too much there. So we're going to look at two whole verses uh, today. Next week, next week, God willing, uh, we will conclude our study. I appreciate Jeremy letting me have two Sundays here uh, back to back. So what we're going to do is we'll start out recapping. I appreciate Jeremy reading through all of Third John. So we'll just take a brief look at where we've been. As he noted, as he read, this is a letter from John to the beloved Gaius. Okay, Gaius is as common a name as, I guess Olivia is like at the top of the female list right now. A very common name. Uh, crossword puzzle revealed to me <laughs> this last week that Augustus Caesar and Caligula were both named originally Gaius and changed their names. Who specifically was he? We don't know. But John rejoiced that Gaius was living in the truth. He was living in the truth. His relationship with Jesus Christ was evident to all. And this is the thing. Knowledge about Jesus Christ, if it doesn't make that foot and a half transition, is meaningless. If I have knowledge about Jesus Christ, but I don't have relationship with Jesus Christ, my knowledge is futile. I might win uh, Jeopardy, but I'm not going to win the ultimate race. Only in a relationship with Christ can I walk in the truth. Only in a relationship with Jesus Christ can I know the fullness of joy that abides, that lasts in the midst of searing physical and emotional pains in this life. A brief aside, David Everett may be trying to pass a kidney stone even this morning. Kara asked if that's contagious. That's <laughs> it would seem. But only in a relationship with Christ can I know the fullness of joy in the midst of such suffering. Only in a relationship with Jesus Christ can I know the peace of Jesus, His peace, during the upheavals that happen in our families, upheavals that happen in our workplace, upheavals that are happening in our culture and in our country and around the world. Only in a relationship with Jesus Christ can I know love and can I love with a deep and sincere love despite the abuse and the cruelty that I may suffer from those who hate me or despise me. Only in my relationship with Christ can I have hope a sure and certain hope that when all becomes too dark to see or the evil in this world has put my eye out, I know that this hope still remains. And this is why John writes with such joyful exuberance that Gaius is walking in truth. It's like, oh, this is great. He continues in his letter talking about this, the double joy of the brothers. He has sent brothers to him. The brothers have been received and, and shown lavish love by Gaius. And that brings John great joy. But then when the brothers return to John, he gets double joy in hearing that Gaius is walking in the truth. And so because of this fellowship, there is a double joy. And this letter starts out tickled. He is well pleased. The second half of the letter, John seems to be dealing with really the impetus of why he is writing in the first place. John addresses a cancer within the church incited 
by a man named Diotrephes. Let's read together verses 9 and 10 here. John, John writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So from verse 9, we see that John had already written a letter. He had written a letter to the church. Perhaps it was to encourage them to welcome the brothers. Perhaps it was to encourage them to support the brothers. Perhaps it came in the hand of the brothers and goes, here. Now, if I got a letter from an apostle, how would I receive that letter? And think about this contextually. Okay, this is in 80 to 90 AD. It appears that all of the other apostles have died by execution or were in the midst of their travels going ultimately to their execution. And the only one who remained any longer in that area was John, the elder. How would we read such a letter? Well, let's think of it. Let's step back for a moment and consider the leadership positions in the church today. How do we look at leaders in the church? The first thing we need to look at is that God builds the church. God assembles as he sees fit. First Corinthians chapter 12 is replete with emphasizing that point. God builds the church as he sees fit. In Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 through 13, Paul emphasizes the same thing from 1 Corinthians 12 to the church there. And he says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So when we look at leaders in the church, the apostles back then, the pastors and teachers today, we see that God is the one who assembles the church, each one as he sees fit. And the second thing, the second key point is he does this not just because, but for our good. He does this for the building up of the church, for the strengthening of the church, that we may grow into maturity. In Ephesians chapter four, he goes, on to say, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain, all of us together, to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would all be mature in Christ. This is why God has done this thing. Third, though, we have to be discerning. Jesus Christ himself said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Examine what they're doing. Paul gave that same warning, a very similar warning to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts. 
as he is leaving them, he thinks for the last time, and probably so, he says to them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. From out of the church, these will come. It's like, oh man. So do I trust what he's preaching? Do you trust what I'm preaching? Do you trust what Frankie or your Sunday school teacher, Brian, is teaching each morning? Paul went on to tell them, therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. We cannot go into the church going, okay, you know, skeptical about, well, what's coming off the pulpit. At the same time, we have to be discerning. So there's a balance in there. We must be like the Bereans who received the word with eagerness. Like, oh yeah, this is great. But at the same time, it wasn't just eagerly that they received it. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were in fact so. You know, it's a blessing in this church ever since I've been a part of it that the pastors, they're going through scripture and people are sitting there with their Bibles open and they're following along to go, is that what it says? And if after the fact there's a question, everybody has the freedom to come and ask the pastor, was there a misspeaker or is that what you really meant to say? So God has given us pastors and teachers and leaders and apostles in the church and we should heed them we should heed them eagerly for our growth and for our good and at the same time we are listening carefully because we are in the body and we take care of one another there's much more to say about how we ought to care for our pastors and our church leaders Uh, the writer of hebrews says we are to imitate their faith we are to imitate their faith Hopefully, our pastor has a faith that you can imitate, that I have a faith that you can imitate. To be able to say with Paul boldly, follow me as I follow Christ. Again, there's that comparison. Follow me, yes, as I follow Christ. We in the church are to obey and to submit to our leaders. Paul says that in Hebrews 13, 17 and 1 Corinthians 16, 16. We are to respect and esteem our leaders in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 12. We are to provide for them. One of the reasons we take up an offering is to provide for our pastor and his family. And right after that, we are to hold pastors accountable. We are to hold pastors to account. So let's go back Here we get this letter from John. How should they have received it? With eagerness. Oh, this is great. Unless John has gone off the deep end. And he hasn't. And what does Diotrephes do? He rejects it. He does not acknowledge John's authority. And he does not welcome the brothers. So here... John will then give us a spiritual, give Gaius and us, a spiritual MRI into the character of Diotrephes. 
What is wrong with this guy? And his insight is incisive to huge problems that can crop up in churches across our country today. The first big issue we see is an issue of pride. And Frankie highlighted that uh, in the Corinthian church this morning in Sunday school. And we will press into it more here. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, he first of all, he rejects John's authority. Okay, and he puts himself first. We'll get to that. But how audacious is that? Here, the, the, the final apostle gives you a letter, and you just crumple it and throw it in the trash. If John can be rejected, how much easier is it for a member of a congregation to reject the teaching of their pastor? It is a very easy thing. He's just a man. He's just a guy. He's no different than me. And in our pride, we are apt to... To reject authority. Certainly, is there a basis to look at the authority of our pastors and leaders? Absolutely, we've alluded to that. But has John provided that? No, he has not. He rejects John's authority and he likes to put himself first. Oh, the enticement of the limelight. It's a real thing. I've been on stage. When people laugh, it's great. When they applaud, it's great. But this can be a cancer to a person's soul, and it can really be a cancer to the church. In Acts chapter 8, we see a great example of a guy who is wanting this very thing, Simon the sorcerer. Acts chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, There was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And Luke's hinting at what an extraordinary guy this was and what this did to his character. It says, he amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid him attention because for a long time he had amazed them with magic. But when the disciples came in, they started doing miracles without flash and without all the attention getting that he was receiving. They were just healing people like that instantly in a moment. And he was astonished. Um, And it was something that truly he desired for himself. When Simon saw, chapter 8, verse 18 that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, I want this magic, like Jeremy was talking last week. I want that cloak that I can roll up and part the sea. I want that handkerchief that people touch and can be healed right now. I want a super energy pill. Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. 
You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. This is a real thing. Before the Sanhedrin, before Jesus Christ was crucified within the Sanhedrin, members of the council were going, man, this, I'm thinking this guy is somebody. I'm thinking this is the guy. However, John notes for us that many of the authorities, though they believed in him, for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now when you think about this, you're going to think about the pastor. So many pastors have fallen because they've become essentially a rock star. And oh, you know, they got very big for their britches and they love the accolades and the praise. And that led them to get wonky in their personal life. But this isn't a thing that is susceptible just to the pastors. This can be susceptible to you if you are a Sunday school teacher. And it doesn't matter if you're teaching the old. It can be if you're teaching the young. If you're getting the attention of them and they're wanting to come to you for questions, that can go to your head. If you are in a discipleship relationship with somebody else, that can go to your head. If you are simply contacted for counsel, oh, they're coming to me. That can go to your head. Being a musician up here, you know, we talk about it regularly. It's difficult to worship while you're playing because you're not wanting to be a stumbling block for the people as they come to worship. But at the same time, you can lose sight of why am I doing this? And you're just wanting to sound good. Only for us within the church in a submitted relationship to Jesus Christ can any of these people serve and understand at the same time that what Paul did, you know, oh, for the grace of God, for I am the chief of sinners. He told that to Timothy, a young pastor in 1 Timothy 1.15. But not only did Diotrephes want to put himself first, rejecting John's authority, look at me, he was slanderous. Not only did he just reject John, he started talking down about him. Verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Man, there is perhaps no greater disease in the church than an unmanaged tongue and an unbridled tongue. This is the heart of James chapter 3. James devotes a whole chapter to the tongue. A small thing, like a bit in the horse's mouth that can steer the entire horse. A rudder on a ship, a small thing that can steer the entire ship. 
a spark that can start a whole forest fire. James says, chapter 3, verse 9, With it we bless God and curse our brother made in God's likeness. At the root of a tongue gone astray, James says, is the root of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It goes back to the pride. You know, hey, look at me. Oh, that's just John. Let me bring him down in your mind to elevate me. That's what he's doing. What am I doing with my tongue? Proverbs 11.9 says, With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. We are to love one another. And here in this body, Diotrephes is slandering of all people the apostle. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 and 5, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. And understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. My tongue. How do I combat my tongue? First, don't think it's not your problem. Don't think your tongue is not a problem. If you haven't read through the Proverbs in a long time, I would encourage you to do so. Take a chapter a day and you'll get through it in a month. Go through the Proverbs. Put a little T by every verse that talks about the tongue and your speech to one another. And you'll be amazed. And how often we are exhorted and rebuked for what we do with our tongue. Why? Because it's a problem for all of us. That's why James devotes an entire chapter to it. He says declaratively and authoritatively, none, no one can tame the tongue. But Christ can. First, Don't think it's not your problem. Second, realize that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. It is only in your relationship with Christ that comes the bridling of the tongue. Third, we need to hear Paul's exhortation to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace. To those who hear, I want to lavish grace on those who hear me. My desire should be to build you up, not corrupt your soul, not tear you down. That's what Paul says. Paul exhorts the church in their, with their mouths to build up one another. And it's the same word that he uses earlier that I read to you about pastors and teachers building up the church. You can do the same thing 
with a grace-filled tongue. Now, some of us have spent 58 years, some longer, some less long, at polishing the barbed tongue. And with it, with, with great subtlety and nuance, we can pierce a soul. We need to be careful with our tongue. And it is only in our relationship with Jesus Christ that we can do this. Diotrephes was slandering John, talking wicked nonsense against them. The third thing that we see Diotrephes doing is he is unsupportive of gospel ministry. Like, <laughs> what? We've got an opportunity to support the gospel. Ah, nah. Nah. In fact, you guys just move along. Just keep rolling down Travis, rolling down A Street. Not here. But, you know, all we wanted to just give us a listen. Nah, go on. It was so bad that there were some people going, yeah, well, let's. We really want to. We want to help these guys. This would be great. Not only is Diotrephes saying no, he's going, you get out of the church. Door, gone, go. What? Go, it really can't be that bad. Yes, it can. Some of the ugliest conflicts within a community are often within a church over the smallest of things. He refused to welcome these believers. Think of what John said in, back in verse 8. We ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Anybody been to Antofagasta? Nope. Anybody been ministering on the campus at MSU in the locker room? Anybody got access to the locker rooms? Anybody got a hearing with anybody in the locker rooms? These are places we don't go. But we have an opportunity to support such people. We get to support David and Christy Flink. Their whole family and the whole church that's growing up there. It's great to hear about these things. We're now brand new supporting Josh Longoria in his ministry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. In, in campuses and locker rooms all over northern Utah. This is fantastic. We are fellow workers. Fellow workers for those who are going out. We pray for them. If we're doing nothing more than praying for them, that is nothing more. That is huge. Oh, that we would pray for our missionaries. Oh, that we would pray for those in gospel service. I got three pastors that live on my street. Dr. Bob up the street lives there. The guy at City Hope lives right next door. I can pray for these guys. They're my neighbors. All that the gospel would go forth from these places. If I don't have a heart to support gospel ministry, I need to check my heart. Understand, sometimes supporting gospel ministry is not easy. For those who've worked at the McClung's home here in town, that was not easy. That's hard work. That is hard work. 
cleaning the church. I know there are some here who do it all by themselves with joy. Wow, that's fantastic. That's a lot of hours to invest to clean the church. We have a work day coming up. We have a nursery schedule that's not full. Oh man, I'm going to miss a sermon again. Yeah? I want you to think of Jesus' words when we give to the needy. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Flip there real quick. He talks about giving to the poor. When you give to the needy. Okay, the implication is that you're going to give to the needy. Not, don't trumpet it. Don't trumpet go, hey, look at me, I'm doing this. I'm giving to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. The same is true in our labors for God. Hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. He says, your father who is in heaven sees in secret and he will reward you. When? Some point future. He sees what you're doing. Do I believe, do I really believe that the future reward of my heavenly father will be greater than what I gave up for that one hour or two or three? I got to do this for an hour. I'd rather be doing this. Okay. The, the re- return on your investment is going to blow your mind. That's what the word tells us. God the Father will reward you. You're going to miss a sermon. You're going to miss a Saturday morning. The reward that you will receive from God in heaven will blow our minds. Why didn't I do more? We have opportunities, man. I mean, just coming down the pike. They're not flashy. They're not extraordinary. We have an opportunity to hear Our missionary this Wednesday night, 6.30, right here. If you can't make it, you can write them a note. Download WhatsApp and you can be in communication with David Flink right now. In fact, some of the people from Atapagasa are probably going to get your name and they're going to be talking to you too and encouraging you with what God is doing down there. Gospel opportunities. Man, it's hard to be on the field. And to get a note of encouragement from a sending church does a missionary just great encouragement. Really lifts them up. Other opportunities. Uh, We've got a construction project for guys who are good at construction. There, you can talk to Arnold. Church cleaning. You can help out with that. You can sign up for a time. Nursery, I mentioned that. Teaching. There'll be other teaching opportunities. There are current teaching opportunities. Treasury, deacon, elder. Oh, we can only have two elders. No. We can only have one deacon. No. Who's qualified? It should be our desire to serve in the church there. What about in our community? What about at the Pregnancy Help Center? What about the women's ministries here in town and the men's ministries, Faith Mission? Maybe that's your thing. You go, ah, I want to help there. With regard to the homeless, I don't even know how to crack that nut. 
but you might. Prison ministry. Maybe you want to start a Bible study at work. Maybe you want to start a Bible study in your neighborhood, at school. That one, diatrophies. Last thing we see about this guy is he is divisive. He is divisive. He is the anti-Gaius. He wants to put them out of the church. He wants to, he doesn't care, splinter the church. Blow it to pieces. I don't care. Me. In front. Paul gives an example in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 of how the Macedonians, oh man, they were, they were pouring out the gifts. Gifts they didn't have to support Paul in the ministry. The Philippians were eager. The Galatians, Paul, as, as, as harsh a letter to the church at Galatia as Paul wrote, he said, you guys would have ripped out your eyes for me. Apparently he had issues with his eyes. You guys cared about me so much that you'd have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. That's how much you cared about me. To me, Diotrephes is wanting to blow this whole thing apart. Paul exhorted the church in Ephesus that we should maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He went on to tell them that the goal is the unity of our faith. That we would have a unity in our faith. Paul exhorted Timothy not to have anything to do with foolish, ignorant controversies that breed quarrels. Don't just stir up contention in the church. Unity. Yes, there is a time to separate over disagreement. If you missed that sermon two or three weeks ago, Jeremy talked about separation. It was great. I encourage you to go back online and listen to it. There is a time for that. This is not what we're talking about. This guy is completely off base. Diotrephes was divisive. That takes us to Demetrius, who we'll look at next week. But before we leave this, I want us to think about diatrophies within our own church. Is he here now? I hope not. The church is going to continue to be attacked from without. Absolutely. The culture's against us. The government's completely secular, tending more secular. God is being driven from the public sphere. And that the church will sustain just fine. It's the rot within that will cause problems for us in the future. Do I grasp personally, do I fathom my own pride? I can't say it doesn't apply to me. I can't say when I'm preaching, well, that doesn't apply to me and I can go off and do these things. No, God's word applies to me. If I find in my heart over and over again that I'm going, well, you know, if, if only the Smiths, only if, if only they would get involved. Who are you, old man? No, if only, if only they would do their part. Um, just look at the mirror. 
do I fathom the darkness of my own pride in this matter? This is a time really for us all to cling more fervently to what God has declared to us with regard to the church. They went out from us because they were not of us. Do I fathom, do I grasp God's passion for the church? The only place I'm going to find it is in the word. Oh, that I would learn from God his passion for the church. If I love the Lord and I see his passion for the church, dying for the church, dying that the church might be built up upon the rock, then his passion might become my passion. That I would have a passion for the church. Christ at the head, for his body, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. John started this letter by exalting that Gaius was walking in the truth. And that what he was doing in his relationship with the church was a beautiful thing. It was a lived out testimony. It was fleshed out in deeds of service. It was fleshed out in love. It's the fruit of a life whose energy and excitement come from their relationship with God. May this truth keep me from becoming like Diotrephes, where the darkness of my pride in the church is replaced by my relationship and place in Jesus Christ. Where instead of the toxicity of my tongue within the church, it is, it is countered by a spirit-filled, Christ-empowered, church-encouraged life where I bridle my tongue and I use my tongue in grace to build you all up. When the church suffers because I am uninvolved and I don't care, let that be replaced by me desiring more and more for God to use my gifts to serve where needed, to cultivate relationships with one another that I might be in your life and you might be in mine. That I would desire to build up the church and not see it divided. Diotrephes' name is now welded for all eternity in the Word of God. It's right there for us to see. And he serves as a bad example. And we hopefully can learn from bad examples. That's the exhortation of the father to the sons within Proverbs. Let us resolve to pursue our relationship with Christ that as good examples, we will grow in Christ's likeness and in our effectiveness in building up the church to the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, this disease resides in me. The disease abides in me. And it abides in each one of us. Only through the power 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, only through his blood, only through the strengthening of the spirit, through the truth of your word, can we grow in Christ likeness. Oh God, guard us, heart, mind, and soul. Build up this church for your glory that we might be a shining beacon. Oh, let this be true throughout our community. Let the diatrophies of Wichita Falls be silenced. And your name be praised, we beg in Jesus' name. Amen.